0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio.
1: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and today I'm thrilled to have as a guest host joining me for the hour, Annie Wilson, who's a professor here at Wharton in marketing. And she's joining us because Professor Americus Reed is somewhere, I don't know where. Hello, Annie, welcome to the show. Hi,
2: Barbara. Thank you.
1: So uh, tell us, this is what Americus always does, but he's not here, so you have to do it. What have you been doing on this fine summer day? <laughs>
2: What have I been doing? I've been trying to stay inside because it is crazy hot and humid outside, and even a two-minute walk is is kind of brutal. So just trying to stay cool, pretty much. Yeah,
1: well, I read in the news today was much cooler because it's only in the like low 90s instead of 100. Uh, yeah. So it's been pretty brutal, yes. And kind of thinking about how to deal with that until it gets cooler in September, but that's when classes start, so there's that. Well, today we have a very exciting show. We have, um, for the first half, when we talk about marketing news, we have Lauren Thomas, who's a retail reporter for CNBC, and she's going to talk about her current stories and help us identify some hit and misses. Welcome, Lauren.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for having me. Likewise, trying to stay cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, tough all over the place. Um, and in the second half, in our spotlight segment, we have Amy Martin Zeigenfuss, who's the senior vice president and global brand... Of- Global Brand and Enterprise Marketing at Hilton, and she's going to talk about how that brand has dealt with the fallout from the pandemic, the unusual um, competition that the hotel industry has been facing, and what they're doing to build up their brand. So that'll be an exciting second half. But let's start first with Lauren Thomas, the retail reporter for CNBC, and let's see if we can identify some hit and misses.
0: (laughs) Hit. Yeah. Or <laughs> cool miss. Just a bit outside.
1: Yes, so the hit and miss segment of this show talks about news stories and we can talk about some that Lauren has written and some that she hasn't written and decide whether we think they're a hit or a miss for the company or for the brand. So Lauren, I was told you have a hit and miss. You wanna spring one on us?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll throw it out there. So this is, I didn't write a story about this, but the other day I came across a, an advertisement that I thought was, was really interesting. So it's this company called Everlane. I don't know if you're oh, if yes. you, you aren't familiar with them or if, if uh, listeners are potential, uh, potentially familiar with them, um, you know, they're an apparel brand. And basically, they sent out this advertisement really pushing the fact that they're having a sale right now. Um, and it was kind of a play on inflation as well. Um, and, and they wanted to, to basically pull that into their marketing. So you get this email and you open it up and it says, um, priced like 2019. So and it says uh, $6 a gallon of gas, uh, $7 lattes. 100% increase in the use of the word unprecedented. Inflation is real. And as a team of fellow humans who are also feeling all the feelings, we got it and we've got you. Um, so they, they say they go on to say we're going back to unprecedented prices. And they've got this five day sale where some of their denim and t shirts are going on sale. Now, someone as as someone who covers the retail industry i found this really interesting inter- interesting i've seen um some other companies including walmart recently really trying to um you know reach consumers at a time when everything is really expensive and you know call out the fact that hey you know there's inflation but come to us for for low prices but what i also thought was interesting and why i i felt like this was a miss is because I think more than ever, we're also very aware of all of these supply chain issues that companies have faced. And the fact that right now, a lot of um, retailers have a lot of extra inventory. And as a result, they're going to have to discount. Like they've got to mark things down just to get rid of it. Um, And including Walmart, Target, like some of the biggest retailers in the country have been very transparent about the fact that like we've got extra stuff. um, You know, we kind of messed up. So in order to get rid of it, like we're going to put it on sale. And a lot of that is happening in the apparel space. So while I thought it was kind of cute, you know, that that Everlane um, made this advertisement, you know, saying, oh, we're going to go back to 2019 prices like we're doing you the consumer a favor yeah that's pretty Um, interesting at the same time I'm like well you know (laughs) I feel like you're this this company is probably in the same position as a lot of other retailers where they have to mark things down so I don't know if the consumer (laughs) is smart enough
1: yeah, let, yes. me, let me just butt in there a little bit because Everlane has this yeah. wh- long history of, you know, they're a disruptor and they came out with transparency and pricing and all of these kinds of things. So it's particularly ironic for them to be disingenuous given their history with the brand and what oh, really. they came out with and that they're there. So I kind of agree with you. I think the bigger story, um, whether, I don't know if I'll fault them so much as economists, like I think uh, America's invented the word hiss, so it's no, kind it's of like in between. <laughs> it's, you know, they're trying and they're trying to be customer focused, so maybe it's a little bit cute, but I agree it's disingenuous. And the really bigger story, which is kind of what I was going to do with my hit and miss too, is inflation and what it's doing to the industry in general um, where people are definitely scaling back on their, on their buy And it's at a bad time because it's right before back to school when we're expecting to see uh, consumers go back into the store. And if they're feeling the the negative effects of inflation, that doesn't bode well for what they're going to spend. Annie, did you have a take on the Everlane story?
2: I think I would call it. Uh, and I don't mean for this to be a pun, but more of a misfit, um, because I think it is a clever marketing strategy. I think it leverages a little bit of uh, really recent nostalgia of kind of going back to 2019 before the pandemic and these unprecedented times. Like you said, um, it doesn't seem like the right fit for Everlane, though. Like you said, Barbara, given their history of transparent pricing and and. showing that their prices are deliberate and not something that they can just choose haphazardly. That's really part of that transparent pricing, which this sort of goes against that. But I could see if another retailer did this, um, especially if some of the apparel was more nostalgic too, it could be like quite fun and get you in a different mindset as you're shopping Thinking about shopping at that time, you know. And, and, um, so and, I
1: go misfit. Yeah. Any time a retailer or a brand starts putting things on discount, this happened in the big recession of two thousand and eight too. You start wondering well, why couldn't you charge this price before? What's the fair price? You know, uh, we talk about that in marketing academics as changing your internal reference price. It kind of changes what you think is the fair price. And when Everlane was known as a fair pricing retailer, this kind of does call into question a little bit about trust in our relationship, which I think is what Annie's referring to. Let's talk a little bit more generally about some of these trends. And I know you've written stories about this, but before we get to your story, I just want to call up is my hit and miss, and I—I I guess it's a miss, but it just makes me sad. Um, a lot of these disruptors are talking about laying off people. So I know you have a big story in Allbirds, and we'll get to Allbirds on that. But before we get to Allbirds, the one I was going to call out was Warby because Warby's the darling of the Wharton School. We love our Warby guys. Um, and they announced that they're going to have some cutbacks. And But they announced, which I thought was pretty interesting, that the layoffs were not going to come from their stores or from the customer experience. And the reason I thought that was somewhat interesting to bring it up in a hit-and-miss segment is because Warby is like one of the prototypes retail disruptors that came out on digitally native vertical brands going online direct to the end user and invented their five pairs try-on experience because they weren't doing physical stores. Now, when they are cutting back and looking for cuts, they're, where they're not cutting from is the stores. So I was just curious, Lauren, what you think about that just in general. And we'll talk about birds in particular in a second. But just in general, there are a lot of these um, digitally native vertical brands that are cutting back and kind of, you know, going back into the physical. Because p- coming out of COVID, even though there was this digital acceleration and the digital native vertical brands are pushing us to e-commerce, everybody's not cutting from the physical store because people are going back into the physical store. So I right. was thinking that you might have a perspective on this because, as you said, you're the retail reporter.
0: <laughs> no, I absolutely and warby parker and like you kind of alluded to earlier they join a very long and growing list of companies that have had to make um difficult decisions i guess in, in recent weeks um i believe sweetgreen um just had some layoffs that they announced recently as well and and many others um but yeah what's what i think is interesting about this this the fact that this is happening in that direct to consumer, you know, space with these retailers that are still really in hyper growth mode. um, And many of them have yet to achieve profitability, right? Like that's been a big issue kind of tied to that space. And so they're looking at these stores, Warby Parker is looking at stores, um, in order to hopefully achieve profitability as they add more and more, you know, the cost to acquire a new customer will hopefully go down, and that means better profit margins, and then hopefully, you know, they, they can ultimately turn a profit. So it's kind of this irony, I feel like, where right now these companies are having to make cuts, but at the same time, like you said they're not cutting in retail um, because retail is still an area where they really need to achieve growth so it's like how do you cut but still try to grow at the same time and especially like a lot of these companies Warby um Allbirds uh Rent the Runway ThreadUp Poshmark like we saw a wave of these companies uh go public in 2021 right. so now they have this whole new class of uh investors you know shareholders that they have to uh you know they owe they, they owe things to right, and right. and so it's uh it's certainly put them I think in a in a tricky position um, now as they're going through these cuts now.
1: Yeah, navigating through this today, of course, or I think yesterday, they announced slightly positive news. The inflate the prices weren't quite as bad as they were, but still were at an unprecedented role, you know high prices and inflation. So there's still more pain to come. So Annie, did you have a take on these dis- digital uh, disruptors like? Cutting, making these layoffs, but not cutting back on the physical stores. Kind of leaning into physical stores as a growth area, as Lauren was saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with kind of the irony of it. Um, sort of the, as as you're fully aware, of Barbara, like the repetitive uh, exclamations that retail is dead, but it's not. It's very much not dead, especially brick and mortar. Um, I think it makes sense, and I think that, like, in light of the rising cost of digital advertising, too, and some of the more prominent spaces where. These brands are trying to find their target markets. It it makes sense. I think that I view it a little bit as a miss. It's a little bit um, interesting to watch as a consumer from the perspective that you can see they're in growth mode and they're still expanding product lines in some cases and different offerings. And um, I know we're going to talk about Allbirds, but they've come out with more lifestyle and athletic products and kids' shoes. Um, And to see that in conjunction with, with the layoffs is I think as a consumer, it's adding to those mixed messages around inflation and where Amazing. numbers are going up and down and sort of uh unprecedented for lack of a better <laughs> word
1: directions <Yeah. laughs> We're in difficult times, that's for sure. So let's get into your stories, Lauren, where you really are the expert you've done the reporting, and that's why you're on our show. So you did write about this issue very recently with regard to Allbirds, which is also a Wharton, by the way, a Wharton graduate, so we love Allbirds, too. Um, And Allbirds is announcing the slowdown, too. And I think they are announcing a cut in some Mm -hmm. of their growth areas that Andy was relating to, like they were going to go into some of these new categories. But I think given this, they're kind of pulling back on some of that. So you want to give us the background on that Allbirds story?
0: yeah definitely so they recently reported um i guess just just a day ago their their results for the second quarter um and basically showed you know continued losses so they still haven't achieved that profitability just yet and yeah it was interesting to hear executives speak during um conference call later in the evening you know essentially they gave some examples of areas where maybe they had you know, innovated uh, too much, you know, they tested something and now they're realizing that's not going to work. So one example um, that got people talking was so that the company Allbirds, you know them uh, for their shoes. They're very well known for for their shoes and that's kind of the core product where they started. But then they recently ventured into apparel. They launched Clothing uh, during the pandemic, actually, and they said that they're going to pull back now um, some aspects of clothing, like they're going to get out of the women's legging category, for example. Um, So I guess, you know, that wasn't selling as well as they had hoped. Um, So just that's kind of another way that we're seeing these uh, brands, these retailers, really trim back, not necessarily cutting people to save money, but also cutting back in ways in which they, you know, they had innovated in the past. and, and Yeah, trying
1: to it, cut you know. costs. So one way, is, you know, exactly. to improve profitability, you got to look for these cost cuts. Um, yeah, so it is sad to see that. Leggings to me make sense because there's so much competition in that. Such so really good competition from Lulu, for, huh, sure. for example, on that. It's going to be pretty hard for all birds to get into that. So stick to the knitting isn't a terrible <laughs> advice, you know, especially in hard times. But we do really like all birds. Uh, Joey Zeldiger, I don't know how to say his name exactly right, but at any rate, he's the Wharton grad. Um, yeah. He's a Wharton MBA. And those guys are just really earnest and into changing the world for better and so i hate to see anything happen to these guys but it's a hard it's a hard game
0: what i would one other thing i might add to this is more of a a positive i guess or where we're we're seeing them um experiment more so with third-party retail so we label these retailers direct to consumer right because they started out only selling online and now through their own stores but increasingly you're seeing these brands um look to a nordstrom for example so allbirds is now selling through nordstrom to reach more customers, um, and I think that that and analysts seem to agree that that really should help the oh, business. Oh yeah, but
1: that's really interesting because they part of their DNA was going direct to exactly. reduce that margin. It is. But it isn't un- unprecedented to use that word again because Bonobos yeah. did that to spread. Also, they went to Nordstrom. and Nordstrom's has picked up a lot of these um, direct to consumer brands and helped them gain market share it's been good it's been good for both of them for nordstroms and for the brands but it is interesting because alberts has been pretty clear about always wanting to be direct because they want to reduce that margin to keep their price Reasonable when they use their sustainability initiatives, but the in- inflation is really pushing on them. I want to get to a very interesting story that you wrote because we've been looking at this for a while. Uh, Americas and I, and I'm sure Andy feels this way also, but Americas and I have talked about this on the show a lot. These brands that are coming out with purpose-driven messaging, you know, and really trying to pick up the the issues like Black Lives Matter or Me Too and those kinds of things, and brands have been falling over themselves to kind of relate to the consumer. One issue they've been very reluctant to talk about is the Roe v. Wade issue. And when yes. that happened, we did not see a lot of brands coming out and saying anything but that changed when the uh, Indiana law changed. And so you want to talk about that story because that's like the first time some significant comments from business were made with regard to the new law that changed. I guess it's law, bill or something. Yeah, yeah. the new law in Indiana that makes abortion very, very restrictive.
0: Exactly. So basically, um, for those listening, and and just to get everyone up to speed, so Indiana, uh, on Friday, basically became the first uh, in the nation to pass this new legislation that, like you said, restricts access, you know, it's very strict, uh, restricting access to abortions, and that's since the uh, U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, Um, so certainly, you know, something that caught the attention of of many and lots of us were, were following, and, you know, from my perspective of course we're reaching out to companies and we're trying to get, you know, the, the perspective from businesses. And in this case, you know, you have a few businesses that have a very large presence in that state, um, and I think what was most different this this time is you finally started to see some companies really speak up um, and have something to say, rather than you know the first time we heard a lot, or, you know, uh, back when Roe v. Wade was first overturned, uh, we had a lot of uh, businesses, you know, talking about the various um, benefits that they that they would offer that they have been offering. Yeah, they did companies. travel
1: or something. But- but they didn't hit it right on, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, so the uh, the big one I want to to call out there, there were really two that I think were, were very vocal. So Eli Lilly, Eli Lilly is a pharmaceutical company that employs uh, more than 10,000 people in in the state, and it's been headquartered in Indianapolis for over 100 years. And they basically said that this decision is going to make it really hard to hire people there. It could really impact hiring and that they're going to have to start looking elsewhere to to other states. So like a pretty bold decision. statement, you know, to say that now we're going to be looking to attract and retain talent um, just in other parts of the of the country. Um, Cummings was another uh, company that that spoke out also Cummins, I'm sorry. And they, they've they got around 10,000 people employed in the state as well. Um, and yeah, they had a similar message, you know, that they said that the right to make decisions, I want to quote them verbatim, they said, the right to make decisions regarding uh, reproductive health ensures that women have the same opportunity as others to participate fully in our workforce and that our workforce is diverse. Um, Yeah, so, you know, then they had uh, more to say on that too. So it is, it's definitely a change, I think, Obviously, part of this is companies have probably had time to think more about, you know, what what they're going to say or how how they're going to respond. I guess as states make these decisions now on their own, so I would certainly anticipate. Again, Eli Lilly and Cummins were just two of the first, but I would definitely anticipate we'll see. Yeah, if yeah. More. Let me
1: just reintroduce I, you. I'm Barbara Kahn, along yeah. with my guest host um, Annie Wilson. Uh, This is Marketing Matters, and today we're joined by Lauren Thomas, who's the retail reporter for CNBC, and she's talking about the story she just wrote after the Indiana law changed to really restrict abortion, and two companies uh, stood out who made a statement, Eli Lilly and Cummins, which I believe are some of the first two companies to actually make a statement as strong as this on this issue. Um, And Annie, you teach um, branding, and you teach advertising, and so like, what's your take, first on the reluctance of brands in the past to make a statement and the fact that finally after this law changed in indiana we did see some pretty strong statements from these two companies
2: so i agree with lauren's sentiment that some of it makes sense from the perspective that brands have taken their time to figure out exactly what they want to say and how they want to say it Um, and they are treading much more carefully than they have in other social and political issues i think in recent years which is Uh, Definitely observable. I think it's notable that Eli Lillian come and said something and they were fairly clear in their stances. I would say they talked about it from more of a business than a social or moral or political perspective, but they were pretty clear about what they feel about the law. Um, One question or concern or Kind of thought i have though is a lot of people were also wondering why didn't they say something before the law was uh, signed into legislation because it's not like in some states where they had a trigger law that immediately went into action right when it was overturned and like you said lauren you need time to catch your breath and figure out what to say they've had a pretty long amount of time from a business responding to crises and social issues perspective to say something they were Observably outspoken with anti-LGBT bills and legislation in Indiana in the past, signing different um like protests and such. Um they didn't say anything until this was passed, and then they immediately released something. And there's been some criticism of, okay, why were you holding on to this? Could yeah, this have made a difference if you have all this power in the state, economically, politically, assumingly, why did you hold off until it was done? Maybe you could have actually impacted the outcome.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. Lauren, not that you're a spokesperson for the company, but do you have a point <laughs> of I, view on this? <laughs> no, I I definitely agree. I think, yeah, you tread
0: such a fine line of like, at what point do you come out and say something, you know, and and like thinking again of like, Going back to earlier, we were talking about the, the audiences of like public companies and all the different audiences, I guess, that you that you're catering to. Um, I guess, you know, that's a, a huge part of the decision making process, I guess, and kind of thinking about your messaging and how everyone's going to react to to what you say. Um, but yeah, for for whatever, you know, this this um, you know, abortion and and this uh issue in particular, I think we've probably just seen the the least amount of like. It's shocking response me. you know in in a while and we've i feel like we've had a, a lot of things recently for companies to react to and and respond to um but this one in particular many have have held off and that that held off that kind of became the narrative too of um you know when this back in June, when when this was um, you know an issue, a hot topic, and and it was more okay. Companies are not responding. So. You know
1: what's interesting about it is the majority. I think the survey showed the majority of people are pro-choice. Um, mm-hmm. So it is a popular position, but it's clearly right. a very very. Strongly held position, uh, and it's been such for a very long time. And so it is, Annie, have you when you teach these kinds of things in class and talk about purpose-driven things, I mean, what's your kind of advice on these topics? You know like here's an example where I do think the majority of people would think pro-choice is kind of where we want to be. that people said that, you know, even when the law got changed. But it's just such a strongly held position, so polarizing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the difficulty is I, I don't have very strong, clear advice because I don't think anybody knows the right answer and when uh, to make statements about political issues. I think in general, like it's right to consider who your constituents are or who your target market is and what their agreement is. But you also obviously have to consider your employees, too. And so right. depending on where the company is based, that could be more heterogeneous than the the customers or vice versa. Um, I think also what I hear a lot uh, from students is, is different companies' policies of we won't say anything if it's not part of our core mission, if it doesn't relate to our core product or service. I think my pushback to that is, well, everything inter- intersects at some point. So if you're talking about race, if you're talking about women's health, if you're talking about you know any other issue, at some point, these are your employees, these are your customers. I don't know how these things can ever be fully disentangled from most business practices anyway. Uh, so I sort of lean on the side of, uh, I, I guess I lean on the side of saying something, but I realize that that comes with big risk, but I think you're playing a a sort of uh, a long game on the political question and, and being the company that did do something looking back. And I'm not saying, you know, in either direction, what should be said, but I think... I think employees are frustrated by companies not doing anything. I think there's a little feeling from Eli Eli Lillian Cummins of too little, too late. Maybe you could have changed this. And so I'm a little bit curious to see based on reactions to this, if it will lead to a little more proactivity. other brands, Um, especially in healthcare spaces.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eli Lilly is a pharma company, and so it will be interesting to see if now that the ice has been broken, so to speak, and people are stepping up, whether we'll see more people do that or not. We only have like two seconds left, very short, but I did want to talk about one of your other stories, Lauren, because I think this Bed Bath & Beyond story is really interesting. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) yes. You want to give us a little bit of background on that, just real quick, like what's been happening with Bed Bath & Beyond, because that's like the CEO left and all I mean it's like big I don't know if he left he left oh, yeah. yeah totally well yeah. I think he was pushed out yeah 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 right major More missteps so. in a in a retailer that's been struggling so tell us a little bit about the newest thing happening yeah there.
0: absolutely no Bed Bath & Beyond kind of has become the um you know, the, the, the retailer in, in trouble right now, they are, they're very well known, you know, people, they're all over the country, you know, they've been around for, for decades. And, um, you know, many of us have, have shopped there or have experiences, you know, when we get a new apartment or, you know, you're moving into school or whatever it might be taking your kids to college. Um, you, you know, you, you, uh, require a trip to Bed Bath & Beyond, but here recently, they, they've certainly been struggling. Like you said, the CEO, uh, was pushed out just earlier this year now they've got some interim executives really filling in the management team um but what my colleague and i uh, reported on just a few days ago was kind of the first step in them trying to turn the company around so basically what happened when mark tritton this former ceo came into bed bath and beyond he tried to launch a lot of private label brands right. so these are brands incubated within bed bath and beyond rather than the you know Cuisinart, or you know, whatever national labels we might be familiar with, with shopping at their stores. Again, that's a way to um, keep more margin. You know, you sell more private labels; it can be good for profits. But basically, what happened at Bed Bath and Beyond? To summarize, you know, it didn't play out as planned. No, um, so people we, wanted
1: you know, their national brands. It's like right,
0: and they if, if any of you've been in a store recently, you might have noticed they've they've been remodeling locations. The stores do look cleaner and and you know they've got new fixtures and and so they're trying to clean up shop um they just don't have the right stuff so this story uh that recently published which you're referring to was they're um getting rid of the first or this is the first uh time that they're going to just kill one of these private labels basically it was like for teenagers um it was called wild sage and so that is i think the first domino to to kind of fall and We'll be watching very closely, you know, to see what these new executives can do that are leading the company. Um, you know, is it going to is it going to survive or or not? That's kind of the big question right now, because they've also been running uh, pretty tight on cash, which I'm sure you both are well aware. You know, when, when you start <laughs> to see that and liquidity is drying up, that's when, you know, the big the problems start flashing yeah, yeah you
1: know and it's interesting because a lot of these other retailers have managed the private brand game pretty well like target's yeah. done a really Hard. good job on it costco's yeah. kirkland people sometimes go to kirk you know to costco to buy yeah. their private brand so it's not an indictment against private brands it's mm-hmm. an indictment about doing it wrong <laughs> it keeps exactly it. Like, yeah don't I think- draw the wrong conclusion you know
0: <laughs> right yeah, I think they really, they really rushed it too. you know, he our, he this CEO came in, and he wanted to make a difference very quickly. But you know, there's also something to be said about pacing yourself and, yeah. uh, you know, taking time to do it right.
1: Yeah, and bringing your consumer along, always be consumer focused. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. So much news happening. And it's great to have a reporter <laughs> like you to get us the facts right. Where can our listeners go to keep up with you and what you're writing on?
0: Yeah, with cnbc.com. You can always find my stories there. I'm also on Twitter uh, at Lauren Thomas.
1: And thank you. Great. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you.